Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. It is the 2022 training camp edition as training camp begins at the Ravens Owings Mills Complex this week. And again, joining me on the Believe in the Ravens podcast this year is former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. And Daniel, I have to ask you, it's the players come into camp today, Tuesday, as we're recording this. First practice is Wednesday. You were an undrafted rookie in this league. You were a veteran in this league. What's the mentality of a player, undrafted rookie, and maybe later as a veteran, when you walk in that building for the first time after the summer off? Well, I, I think I think as an undrafted guy, I think there's a little bit of, of, of embarrassment a little bit because you thought you were going to get drafted, right? You're the guy that didn't get drafted. So you kind of have this little sense of shyness or a sense of, you know, angriness, this sense of, you know, I'm going to sit back and just kind of let everything kind of unfold for me um, type thing. But at the same time, you know, you got to be aggressive because you're the one that has to actually make this team. Um, I think as a drafted guy, you come in, depending on how high you're drafted, you know, there's a sense of comfort already, you know, but a guy, that, a guy like myself came in as an undrafted free agent, but I was shook. I was from Appalachian State, smaller school. I think it was only two guys in the league at the time from App State. I met Dexter Coakley, but I had, not, had never met Matt Stevens at the time who played for the Patriots, I think. Um, so there wasn't a lot of Appalachian State guys in the league. A guy came out with me. His name was Troy Colby. He went to the Colts, you know, so it was two of us in at the same time, you know, but um. But when I came in, I was so, so nervous. I, I, remember, I remember going to the Jets camp, and I think it's this sense of nostalgia that comes over you when you walk into an NFL locker room and you look at the lockers. You know, you see the, the – for me at the time, it was Vinny Testaverde. It was Curtis Martin. It was Mo Lewis, you know, Sam Coward. You know, you're looking at these names. You're like, oh, my God, this is Vinny Testaverde. It's Curtis Martin. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, Mike Flynn – you're looking at these linemen, you, and, it's, and it's one of those things. Kevin Mawai was my starting my starting center, who I had no idea who he was at the time, you know, but I knew exactly who Vinny Testaverde was. I was a Miami fan as a kid growing up. And you see these names, and Santana Moss gets drafted with me. Uh, he was our first-round pick. I think Santana came in, you know, with the mindset that he's little, he's the fast, he's fast, he's that speed guy, but he's a first-round pick, so he has something to prove. And I remember guys taking a shot at him. Like, if he ever ran, like, you know, half speed, he the one supposed to be fast. You know what I'm saying? That people guys, older guys will say stuff like that to kind of cut you down. You know, he always like he had this little man chip on his shoulder or he just had this first round pick chip on his shoulder, which you would think a first round pick wouldn't have to prove anything to anybody. But you had to prove yourself, even, even as a first round pick. Why did we give you all this money? You know, like why you? Why they give you the money? You the first round pick? You know, you got to be worth every penny and you'll hear it out loud. Ain't nobody thinking it. They telling you to your face. You know, you're the undrafted free agent. They just kind of leave you alone, make you grab bags and helmets and carry stuff into the locker room. But, you know, there was this sense, Bo, of, of shakingness coming from a smaller school. Not really sure if I fit yet. Not sure if this is, you know, if I'm good enough, you know, and you really want to let people know, like, you arrive. It takes it takes some it takes some steps to get you to the point where, you know, you're an NFL player as an undrafted free agent. It's not like you walk on the field. Knowing that, you know, some of us, now I experienced this in New York, but, you know, it was a guy named Reggie White who played for, I think, the Texas Longhorn. He was a running back. He wasn't a D-line like you were thinking. He was a running back. And Reggie, 
was like the highest paid free agent that came in that, that year, you know? So, and that actually happened with guys, you know, like I had a kid, Shannon Sullivan, I think he's with the Minnesota Vikings now. I coached him at Georgia State about four or five years ago. And he was, he got paid like 20,000 as a free agent, you know? That was a huge check for a kid, right? You know, I came in with a $5,000 sign-up bonus. After taxes, about 2600 You know, spent the whole check at the mall. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a sense of, all right, do you really belong? You're kind of shaking a little bit. You know, you need to make plays. If you make, if you get a chance to make a play, you know, make it. And, and that builds your confidence. So it, and it happens over time. Those are the steps I was talking about. Like, each play is like a step. You know, it kind of gives you a little bit more confidence, a little bit more before you actually feel like you, you made it. I remember my um, tight end coach in New York pulled me to the side one day. He's like, Wilcox, you got a ton of freaking potential. And I was like, thank you, coach. Thank you, coach. And he was like, you know what potential means? And I was like, uh, yeah, but kind of, he's like, potential means you ain't this shit yet. You know, it was like, oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, but it, it kind of brings things to reality, right? Um, you, you challenge yourself on a daily basis to be better than, than you were the day before. And Curtis Martin told me this my rookie year. He was like, everyday Wilcox, I come out here trying to make a, make a play. You know, and when I make one play, I try to make another. And that's how I, that's how I look at practice. I don't look at practice any other way. I come here, it's a game for me, it's not practice. And we always say treat practice like a game, so a game feel like practice. That's a slogan that you coin, but I'm telling you right now, that's a phenomenal slogan. Treat practice like a game, so a game feels like practice. Sure. Well, there'll be plenty of undrafted rookies in this camp for the Ravens, and they've had a little bit of time to kind of make an impression with uh, the, the rookie minicamp and the OTAs, but now obvi- and the minicamp, but now it really ramps up, and they know it. And the Ravens have been great over the years with in terms of keeping an undrafted rookie or two. I mean, it happens almost every single year, and there are several in camp that have a chance this year, especially at positions where there's not much depth. All right, let's get to a few of the key questions that this team will face as camp begins. Number one, always, it's going to be Lamar Jackson because it's always Lamar Jackson. With Lamar Jackson this year, you know, it, he, he is going to be, whether he likes it or not, whether the team likes it or not, one of the most scrutinized players in the league. I mean, even all summer, there have been these, these rankings and stuff that come out that really is just a lot of white noise, but they always seem to have him down the list of quarterbacks. I, I don't put much stock in that at all, but the fact is he didn't come to OTAs. He was at the three days of minicamp. The contract is hanging over this team. And it's it's just not going to be an issue that goes away. But the bottom line is he's also coming off a year that he didn't really play well the last half of the year. And then he got hurt. Then he didn't come to OTAs. And now, so there is going to be a lot on him this camp to kind of get things going. He's lost his top receiver in Marquise Brown, who was traded away. The top running backs will not be at camp early this year. But when you when when Lamar Jackson takes the field this summer, specifically this summer, what are coaches looking for him? What, 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 what should we be looking for to say, yeah, he, he, he's where he needs to be right now? What should people be looking for from Lamar Jackson in his work this summer? You just want to see like a silly eye focus from Lamar. You know, like at this point, I mean, the guy's a veteran. He's not a rookie anymore. He's not a young player anymore. You know, there's no contract negotiations are all over the place. And everything he does is going to be watched and scrutinized because he can't step right without somebody saying Lamar just step right. You know, he's that guy, you know, for the Ravens. He's the Ray Lewis of the team right now. You know, so I, I think if I'm in that scouting department and I'm watching Lamar, I just want to kind of see, because I remember being there the year I was there, and we do watch film all the time. We watch practice every single day. But I remember seeing him coming in and not throwing the ball very well early on. And he got he got better every single day. 
you know, like the first day of like knocking the rust off, like maybe he hadn't threw the ball in a couple of weeks or something, you know, but by the end of that first week, it was like, oh my God, he's making, he's dropping dimes, you know. And then from that point on, he was crisp. He was just really, really, really crisp every single day. And I think you want to see that sharpness, you know, from him as soon as he stepped foot on the field, because you want to feel like he just finished throwing yesterday, not that he stopped throwing two weeks ago to kind of rest off the camp, you know, but you want him to come in and assert himself as a leader and assert himself as the team captain. You want him to be vocal when he needs to be vocal. And you want him to communicate extremely well, you know, with the new guys, you know, the young guys, the offensive linemen, the new running backs, you know, new receivers, you know, so he has to go and he has to communicate with these guys like big bro, you know, Hey man, you know, um, all right, you can get off the ball on this one, dude, man, you know, get on, you can take the ball, crochet, crochet, take the ball, you know, Bateman, Bateman, I want you backside of X, you know, like you, you backside of X, you know what you got, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of want to see that communication and that lines of communication open um, and, and him understanding the playbook in full. I mean, this is his third, fourth year into this playbook. And by now, I mean, he should have his playbook just as good as the coach, if not better, you know? So you want to see that progression in him and him being able to come to meetings and say, Hey coach, I've been watching this over the off season. I think if we tried this, you know, maybe, you know, if we, if we, instead of me doing this zone read, you know, to the right, and then I bubble out, what if I, you know, fake the pass on this one every single time? And then we could come back and we could run this play off of that. I think it'd be a phenomenal play. And he drawed up on the board. And you just want to see him be sharper than he was the year before. Well, let's talk about those receivers, because as you mentioned, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a thin group. There's only four returning receivers. We mentioned Marquise Brown was traded away the first night of the draft. So you've got Rashad Bateman. Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, and Tylen Wallace are the only four returning receivers now. And the other thing to remember with Bateman is Bateman and Lamar Jackson had almost no training camp time together last year. Lamar Jackson was out for the first 10 days of camp because he has tested positive for COVID. He came back, and I believe his second practice is when Rashad Bateman got hurt and ended up having a groin surgery and missed the rest of training camp. Missed five games of the season. He came back for about six or seven games. And then Lamar Jackson was out for the rest of the year. So those two together really haven't had all that much time, almost no training camp time together. Um, you mentioned Devin DuVernay, who's fairly proven, but again, hasn't put up big numbers. He seems to have always been in kind of a limited role here or there, a jet sweep here or there, a catch here or there. He's going to have to take on a bigger role. And James Prochet. James Prochet is, to me, a guy that basically won training camp last year. He was consistently the best receiver in training camp from day one to the end last summer. Caught everything. But then when the games came along, his role was really diminished. He had a couple big games. He had a big game at Denver, five catches for 74 yards. He had a big game at Cincinnati in that blowout loss. But there were days where he, hadn't, he, he didn't do anything offensively. I know you worked with him at the Senior Bowl a few years ago. What, what, where, where can James Prochet take his game this year? I think I think he'll have an elevated role this year just because of the fact that, you know, he's the starter. He's going to in as a starter right now. So I think his role will be elevated. I, I, now, Bo, I'm telling you, this is from my own experience as a player. I used to feel like when I was in Baltimore or when I was in Tampa, the play, even in New York, the players that they had, they thought had phenomenal potential, they would limit their play. They would limit balls to them because they didn't want other teams to try to boost that price up when it comes time to sell them. They'll focus on the guys they've already paid already because it is a political game. You know, they'll focus on the guys they've already paid the big bucks to and make sure they get that money. That way, when it comes down to free agency, if they still want you, then they don't have to pay this absurd amount of money for you. 
I think James Prochet is one of those guys. I think they always knew he was going to be sitting right here at this spot. The same thing you just said, he was probably the best receiver coming in, the best receiver going out as far as receiving and catching. The kid had phenomenal hands in the senior bowl. You know, he wasn't, he didn't adapt as fast as I wanted him to as far as separating from guys, but he had a natural ability to, to get open, you know, and I knew that the progression of him, the adjustment for him, and you started to see it happen towards the last day of the senior bowl before the game, where you started to see him adjusting to the speed, adjusting to the DBs, you know, kind of understanding, you know, their movements and where they're going to go. And he started to be able to create the separation he needed to create to get more balls thrown his way. You know, um, but he was a phenomenal receiver. When the Raven asked me about him, I told him he was a Raven. And they said, which one of these guys you think is Raven? I said, Crochet is a Raven. Again, last summer he was, as I said, I thought he won training camp. I thought he was from start to finish the best receiver on the field. The hands were there. The hands have never been a question. I mean, it's just his hands are terrific. And the funny thing is when they drafted James Prochet, I remember Eric DaCosta, when after they drafted Prochet, the thing he mentioned more than anything about James Prochet was his punt return ability. But then it turns out Devin Duvernay's become a Pro Bowl punt returner, and Prochet hasn't had that role. But it, you're right; there's only four receivers returning. Prochet most likely is going to be—he's going to have a larger role. Last year, I sensed no one said it explicitly, but I get the sense maybe Prochet had a few missed assignments in some situations, and that might have limited his snap counts at times. But he's going to be, have a bigger role. There's no way a, around it. Then, of course, every year in the in the summer, there's a few undrafted wide receivers that shine on the training camp practice fields, and they'll create buzz, and fans will fall in love with them. And then it's always a question whether they can sustain it in game situations, and often they do not. Sometimes they do. I go back to 2013. The Ravens had a receiver named Marlon Brown, an undrafted rookie out of Georgia, who ended up catching seven touchdowns that year at 524 receiving yards. They would love to have a guy like that emerge this year, but that will be dictated when they get to camp. All right, another big question for this team, in my mind, especially is that is on the edge, the outside linebacker group. Uh, it is a thin group, and it was rocked by tragedy this summer. Of course, Tyus Bowser is out with an Achilles injury. He's starting the training camp on PUP, the PUP list physically unable to perform list. They still think he'll be ready for week one. We will see. David Ajabo, their terrific second-round draft pick out of Michigan, is probably out until probably at least November after tearing his Achilles at Michigan's Pro Day in March. And then, of course, there was the tragedy with Jalen Ferguson, his death in June. So the Ravens are short at outside linebacker. Now, they did re-sign Justin Houston, who's a veteran presence. And I can tell you last summer or last year, we used to see Justin Houston all the time. After practice, 30, 40, 45 minutes working with Tyus Bowser or Adafe Owe or Jalen Ferguson. And he loved the mentorship role. He will be back in that again, and he'll be terrific. But there are some chances there for some people to step up. One person I'm looking to step up this summer is Dalen Hayes, second-year player out of Notre Dame. Played just one game last year. I believe it was at Detroit, got hurt, was on injured reserve the rest of the year. But in the, in the OTAs in the spring, Dalen Hayes stood out to me. He was in the backfield a lot. He batted down some passes. He looked really good. But when you're in this training camp, sometimes I feel it's hard to evaluate these edge rushers because they're told, do not hit the quarterback. Take it easy when you get anywhere in the backfield. So, Daniel Wilcox, you said you were in the uh, personnel department one summer for training camp. When you're sitting in that film room after training camp practice and you're watching edge rushers, 
What are you looking for to say, yeah, that guy had a great practice. That guy's doing really well right now. What kind of things are you looking for from edge rushers in the summer when they're not allowed to hit the quarterback? Well, I think one of the things is, Bo, is you, you want to make sure that these guys are unblockable. You know, and you look for athleticism, and then you also look for um, technique and skill set, and then you also look for motor, high motor. You know, you want the guy that's going to bring you that same energy from the first play to the last play. You know, the guy with the highest motor is the guy that usually succeeds, the guy that usually plays well, because in the fourth quarter when guys get worn down, at third and fourth quarter when guys start to get fatigued, those guys are the ones that start to make plays. You want guys that came in camp in shape, um, you can see whether or not they use their hand well. It's still a very physical position, you know, from start to you get to the quarterback, you know. So it's that competition. You know, he, this guy, you know, he thrives off the competition. You know, he loves competition. This guy loves football, you know. You know, he gets great pad level when he comes around the edge. Oh, he wrestles the quarterback better than anybody we got right now. Or, or this guy stops the run. He's always there for the run no matter what. He, look how he plays his hands. Look look how he uses his leverage to his, you know, to his – um. His benefit, you know, this guy plays with leverage all the time. He plays with a high motor all the time. He's a physical guy. You know, he got great moves off the edge. His spin move is probably second to none. You know, so you there's so many different things that you can really break down when you're looking at an edge rusher guy or, or outside backer guy type. And, you, you know, you want to really see, you know, where, where his strength. You know, some guys are better versus the run and suck versus the pass. And some guys are phenomenal versus the pass, but suck versus the run. In that case, one guy is a first, second down guy the run stopper and the other guy is a third down guy, you know, he's a pass rusher, but if you got a guy that does both, then he's a four down guy. And that's the guy that you really want on your team. You want a bunch of four down guys that can go compete as a position coach or as a, or even as a player personnel guy, you, we have to rate these guys, you know, and when you, when we rate them, you don't rate them per position. You rate them, you know, as far as who's the best freaking player on the team, you know, so who you can't live without. And you put all those 60 guys up on that board Who's number one? You know, Olamar, hands down. You know, he's had a phenomenal camp. He can't, he's killing it by far. He's the number one player on the team. You know, who's number two? Uh, James Prochet has showed up, you know, tremendously. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you rate these guys from one to 63, you know, or one to 68, or how many other guys it is now we keep on the team. And I think, you know, I don't think anybody would ever guess that you would rate your guys, but you rate them probably once a week, you know? And by the end of camp, you know, you everybody's pretty much on that same exact page. Yeah, he that dude. You know, he's number one, he's number two, all the way to 50, all the way to 53. What happened, like, for most of my career, the first part of my career, you know, I was a bubble guy. You know, the bubble guys are the guys that get cut all the time, or the guys that, all right, he's on the 53-man roster, but he's number 53 on the team. You know, he's number 52 on the team. He's number 51 on the team. He's number 50 on the team. When you're in those spots, you it pretty much guaranteed at some point, when somebody go down and get hurt, they got to bring in another position, you might be the one on the way out the door. You know, so you don't want to be 53. You want to be one. You want to be one through 21 through 22. And you could be a guy, you know, that 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 plays in multiple positions and you're valuable. If you could figure out a way to be that guy, you know, like your Patrick Ricard type, you know, you could be very high on that list. You know, you could be a part of that 22, that first 22 starters, you know, or you could be he Patrick Ricard, maybe like 30, 31st on that list. But because of his value, but being able to play D-line and fullback, you know, and tight end, I mean, that puts him probably at, like, top 10 on the team, you know. So it's a guy that we really appreciate. We can't do that. He was high on my list when I was there. You know, I played tight end. I could play receiver. I could play slide. I could play the wing. I could play fullback. Then I, I started on all the special teams. You know, and I was special teams captain for a couple of years while I was there as well and let the team in toughness. 
You know, so that's what made me special as a player. You know, that I was a utility. They used to call me the utility. Well, you mentioned down to 51 and 53 on the roster. Those are going to be the special teams guys. And the guy, people are going to make this team based on their special teams play. There's no doubt about it. Usually those last undrafted rookies that make the team. I think of a guy like Christian Welch a couple of years ago, inside linebacker. Yeah, he might play a little inside linebacker, but he makes the team because he's a good special teams player. And John Harbaugh always likes to say, the more you can do. So you get a guy who shows he can do a lot of things. He goes up that ranking list of yours. Uh, and the other thing I'll say about the edge rushers, which is interesting, you talk about do they compete, do they compete. This will also give a good look to the Ravens at what they have at the tackle position before Ronnie Stanley comes back. And we've talked about Ronnie Stanley, of course, one of the big storylines this summer because this is an all-pro left tackle that they basically didn't have the last half of the 2020 season. They thought they would have him last year, and they didn't after one game. So it's a huge situation to monitor him, but in his absence – what does that offensive line look like? And can those tackles handle the edge rushers? Whether it's Morgan Moses, we think will be the starting right tackle and he's a veteran guy, but who will be the left tackle until Ronnie Stanley comes back? That bears some watching, whether it will be Jawan James, who's been hurt himself and has only played three games in three years. Patrick McCarry, who's their super utility guy who kind of they fill in anywhere. David Sharp, they just re-signed. There's other players, but it will be interesting to watch the tackles and those edge rushers going head to head. All right, let, let, let me ask you one more question that a lot of people have been asking me really since last summer, and I'm curious to get your take on this. Should John Harbaugh play his starters in these three preseason games beginning against Tennessee on August the 11th? So, of course, some teams don't play their starters much, if at all. Some, please, some teams play their starters quite a bit. Last year, J.K. Dobbins tore his ACL in the last preseason game early in that game. Uh, John Harbaugh was pretty much despondent afterwards. Talk, you could see a video of him talking to his team uh, players, upset about the idea. I asked John Harbaugh about two days later, what do you say to the people that say, why did you play Dobbins? And he said he called it a fair conversation to have. And he said, look, when anytime a guy gets hurt, you ask those questions. But of course, I would also point out, Marcus Peters got hurt at practice. Gus Edwards got hurt at practice. Justice Hill got hurt at practice. A lot of guys get hurt not in games. So it's not fair to say the only time guys get hurt is playing the games. However, if you were to play in these preseason games and suffer another significant injury, that raises a lot of questions because, of course, these games don't count. So if you are John Harbaugh, Daniel Wilcox, are you playing your starters at all in these preseason games? That's a tough question, bro. That's a really good question. I think I think if I'm Harbaugh, I think he – think these guys need the preseason in order to kind of polish themselves up and work on timing and all that type of stuff. And if you don't do that, I think you think that your guys come in a little bit rusty and you start the season off slow. Um, I think if I'm the head coach, I'm not going to put this in Harbaugh, Harbaugh's lap. I'm going to put this in my lap. If I'm the head coach, I wouldn't play my guys. You know, for the simple fact that, you know, you're playing, I mean, it's so much more money now than you're paying, what you're paying these guys now in comparison to when it was when I played. You know, I've been, I've been a retired now for 12 years ago. Uh, you're talking about one, two million, you know, at the most, you know, for a lot of the younger guys on the, on the, on the thing. But, I mean, now you got guys that are making 100 million, 50, 60 million a game. You know, like, that's crazy to me, you know. So, I mean, a year, I'm sorry, not a game. But when you, when you look at it, um, I, I think it's too much of a risk. I, I think you let your guys rest. They're pros. You know, if they come in in shape and they don't need to get in shape anymore, like, why are you playing them in the preseason? I say forget the preseason. 
you know, go through practice every day. And, you know, guys are going to get hurt regardless. You can't hold them out and, and pray that they're going to get hurt, you know. So he's 100% right that guys get hurt in practice. But most of us don't care about playing preseason. We're ready for game day. You know, when is game day? You know, I mean, yeah, we'll go out there and play one series, you know, but just as much as we go out there to play one series and you take us out, it's almost like you're teasing us. You know, we really want to play. We really want to hit. We really want to run. So when you put us out there and then you, you know, you take us out in one series, you know, some of us are like, man, I could just stay, you know, I don't play three plays, first series, sometimes three and out, you know? So it's like, you don't even need that most of the time. You risk getting hurt in those three plays. I, I think I, if I'm going to get hurt, I would much rather get hurt during the season, you know, during a real game, not a preseason game, but don't count. Jake Adams, it was only, I think, the eighth play of the game. It was not in, I mean, it was, a, I, if it was either the opening series or the second series of that game, they were only going to play. I think that was the only series he intended to play them. So, and that's another question is, well, if you're only going to play, if you're going to go through all this and only play five or six plays, uh, is it worth it for the potential risk of, again, you're talking about Dobbins missing the entire season. Yeah. And it's one thing if you pull a hamstring, you miss three games, but if you're going to tear an ACL and miss the entire season. So we'll see. I, we haven't had a chance to ask John Harbaugh about that yet. I'm sure he will be asked. You know, they have three preseason games beginning on the 11th against Tennessee. He has generally played them. He's generally wanted them, as you said, to have a little work because what if they don't play and then you come out and you look sloppy, you look rusty, you're like, wait a minute, well, they didn't play at all. Um, but of course, Sean McVay in Los Angeles has not played his, his starters, uh, I don't think ever. Um, there's other teams that are leaning toward that. And John Harbaugh said last year after the Dobbins injury that they have been reducing the amount that their starters have been playing. But He's also kind of an old school guy, and I think he feels like his guys need some time on the field together. So we'll see. That's something that's definitely going to be worth watching. All right, training camp, as we said, it officially opens on Wednesday, the 27th. Uh, 1,000 fans or so will be on hand at each of, I believe, 16 practices at the Owings Mills facility. And there's a Saturday night practice this week at M&T Bank Stadium for those who got shut out of the uh, lottery to get tickets to the Owings Mills Complex. I will say, having been out of camp in the years with fans and then in the COVID year with no fans and then the fans came back, there's just a juice to the to the training camp when fans are there. And I can tell you when the fans leave in about mid-August and they go into what they call regular season mode and there's no more fans and the practice viewing is limited, the players will say, man, we miss having the fans here. There's some excitement here when the fans are in the building. So it's nice to have the fans. They will be out there. There'll be some energy. There always is, especially in this first week of camp. And we'll be excited to see who steps up. As you said, Daniel, these are un there's undrafted guys with a huge opportunity here. Mm -hmm. And frankly, their career and their NFL dream is on the line. And I think that's always an interesting thing to watch. And of course, we'll be watching to see who wins certain jobs, who stays healthy, which is always one of the biggest things in training camp. All right, we'll be back again next week with a look at what happened in that first week of training camp, who stood out, and where the Ravens go from here. And as we get close, as we get into training camp a little more, Daniel Wilcox, we're going to talk about this heartbreak of roster cuts, right? For a lot of these players that want to make this team, frankly, they won't. And Daniel Wilcox, I'm, I don't have to tell you that you were cut at one point in your career. And we'll talk about that part of the game. And, it's, it's, it, you know, a lot of people see it on a transaction line, but there's, there's, a, there's a human element to this thing. And you have a great perspective on it that others that you can share. So we'll be back next week with another edition of the Believe in the Ravens podcast training camp edition after week one of camp. And we'll see where this team is headed. 
For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smoke, and we thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll be back next week. And subscribe to Believe in the Ravens on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.